0: Did y'all know we were building a new building over here? So, yes, are are we excited about that? Unbelievably excited. We've already made it clear about when we're starting soft opening, Christmas Eve, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, that's how. And we'll do a grand opening where we'll we'll tell the whole world, and that's going to be in January, January 21st. So we'll have four uses of the building to get all the bugs out and make sure we all know what's, what's, what's working right and get it all straight and, well, and know how to organize ourselves. So, yes, great enthusiasm, great excitement about that. But just a few other things that I want to make sure you're aware of. Next weekend, the way we're going to finish our worship in here is we're going to do like we did when we had the groundbreaking and like we did when we went next door and wrote scripture and prayers and stuff. We're going to get up out of here and we're going to go out to that corner because the big, huge, gigantic cross is going to get installed this week. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go out and we're going to sing a quick song and have a quick prayer. And in our hearts, what we're doing is dedicating this new space to the use that God wants to put to use with it. So in other words, we're going to have a dedication. So we're going to do that and that's going to be, we're going to sing a song, we're going to pray, and we're going to dedicate and it's all going to be awesome. So that's happening next week and your children the way we did the previous two times, Rachel's got that all worked out. She'll deliver some of them to you. The really little ones will stay here unless you want to grab them, etc. So it's all going to be awesome and that's what we're doing. So, I'm just giving you a few updates. We've already made it clear how when and how we're going to use this, but I want to I want to, I want to tell you how I want you to think about this new stuff over here. Okay, this is it's important that you actively engage in the architecture. How's that? That sounds kind of fancy, doesn't it? Here's what I mean. When you're going to most of us are going to come around this side, we're going to walk in the doors and it's going to be really clear when you walk in the door to your right is going to be here. So moms and dads with kids birth through 5th grade, really clear. Line of sight, and your kid's going to come into this space, and they'll do a large group thing in here, and then they'll go to small groups in the meeting rooms with the volunteer teachers and leaders. So that's going to be really clear. Big, huge space. The other way you look is where you go for having worship. But right in the middle, high intentionality in the design of the building. Big, huge, gigantic space for you to connect with other people. It's not an accident that we made that place big there. It's on purpose, and there will be chairs and places to sit and meet. If you want to, you can go upstairs and talk. If you need a little more privacy, you can set up. If you've got a project you're working on with other people, you can use. There's lots of space for connecting. You know what's missing in our culture? As busy as we are and as, as preoccupied as we are with our lives and with our business and with social media and with all of that, we're not connecting with each other. And here we're talking at First Press about real relationships. And we mean that, of course, we connect with authenticity to Jesus and we connect with authenticity to each other. And this building is going to help you do it. And I want you to choose to come in here and look for ways to connect with people. And if you see somebody you don't know with your head on a swivel looking around, go say hello and welcome them. Say, hey, great to see you. And connect. The coffee, the chairs, the space. It's going to be nice. You're going to like being in there, and you can hang out afterwards, and you don't have to worry about being loud. You can come early and leave late, and there's coffee, and you can hang out. Sound good? Huh? I'm not finished. (laughs) There's more. When you go into the worship space, again, this is not an accident what you're going to see. What's going to happen in there is this. You're going to be invited up because the ceiling is, is vaulted. And at the top of it will be beams. And in a sense, it's a little bit of a quote of downtown. And there are going to be large uh, chandelier-type lights hanging. And in a sense, that's going to be a quote, a little bit of what we know is true. When you go into space, into a place, the architecture is inviting you. Watch, here comes a fancy word. The architecture is going to invite you to go into the transcendence of God. Because it's way up there. Now, we're going to hang out with each other and sing and do what we do in here. But the room itself is inviting you to encounter the almighty God of the universe. It's not an accident. We did it on purpose. And the room is going to be nice. You could go in that room when you're by yourself. And you, you can, if you choose to do so, you can let the vaulted ceiling invite you into the presence of the transcendence of God. How's that? That's really good. You're choosing to adore God. And we can, do, we can adore God sitting in the grass out in the field somewhere. But this building is built, on, it's going to be multi-purpose. There are a lot of things you can do in all of this space. But I'm telling you what, we can connect with each other and we can adore God. And the architecture is designed exactly for that. It's not an accident, nothing, every detail. Helping us encounter God and each other, connecting with God and connecting with each other. And that's what I'm really excited about. I want us all to know him more deeply And then to help other people come to know him. So we can be friendly and warm and open. You can come as you are. And you can connect with each other. And you can connect with the transcendent God, the universe. And all of this space is helping us do that. How about that? You like that? I'm excited about that. I really am. Yeah. So now back to the series. (laughs) Today is the first day of Advent. And McLean's already told you that. And... um, And so what we're doing is talking about the names that we discover. And Kathy read the text for you. We're going to look at that text for four weeks in a row. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're not looking at it now, not yet. But what we're, what we're doing here is we're thinking through the names of Jesus, thought about... Seven, Kathy, it was more than 700 years ago. It was closer to eight 800 years before the birth of Jesus, this person, Isaiah, gives us all these names. So Isaiah, before we read the Isaiah text that Kathy read already, let me just tell you what Isaiah was. He was a prophet. Now, when people hear the word prophecy, what most of us think mostly is fortune-telling. I can tell you now what's going to happen later. And there is a flavor of that in the biblical understanding of a prophet, but that's not primarily what the biblical prophet's job was. The biblical prophet's job was to be a watchdog on the covenant between God and the people, right? In other words, the, the prophet's job was to say, uh-oh, you're getting out of line here, you're missing the point. And, and another way, of it, it's even a scarier job. The prophet was speaking on behalf of God. Ah, uh. now I get scared to death doing this because there's a sense in which I'm trying to speak on behalf of God, but man, the prophet—that's all they did. They just gave—they they listened to God, they prayed, they meditated, they studied, and then they'd speak about the situation, always watching. Here's how God loves us. Are you maintaining your love relationship with God? And just like us, most folks, most of the time back in that day, they stumbled out, they they fell off. They quit paying attention to God, and they did their own thing, and the next thing you know, we had trouble. Anyway, Isaiah, 750, 800, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, has this text for us. And we're going to spend a little time talking about a couple of the words in it. So there it is in front of you, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders... And he will be called, and here come four names. There are four compound names that the Bible makes clear about who this son is. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're going to take those compound words and work with them for the next four Sundays. But the the one today that that I'm going to work with is Wonderful Counselor. But before we go into the name a little bit, I want you to notice something up here. For to us, a child is born... A son is given, given, gift. God gifted us with himself, his son, Jesus. That's what God has done. But here's what I want you to do. I I want you to ask the question with me. It's really important that we ask good questions. You ask the right question and you end up heading in the right direction. Why do we need a gift? What's the problem? Why do we need a son? That's the tension that you and I are being invited to own into this morning. Why do I need the gift of a son? What's what's going on? So in a a way, human beings need to ask this question. Who am I? Where did I come from? And then here's the third question. You ready? What went wrong? What went wrong? Now, I'm not being judgmental or condemnatory. I'm just saying all of us, if we're honest, we look at the world, we look inside ourselves, and we're going, man, there's all this great stuff, but really, fundamentally, w- what went wrong? That's, that's a real important question. That's asking the right question at the right time. What, and the, obviously, the follow-up question is what am, what's going to happen? What are we going to do about it? But what went wrong? And Christians have used a word. People don't like the word. Christians have used this word over and over again. It's a three-letter word, sin, S-I-N. And as soon as I say that word, people think I want to judge them or condemn them. Don't mean that at all. I'm being descriptive. What happens is you and I have as our default setting with who we are, it's the human condition. And the human condition, the default setting for human beings is is this. I've been calling it this for the last couple of months. (laughs) Meology. Me. In other words, by default, I automatically say, I'm going to run my life. I am allegiant to me. I'm going to make the decisions. I'm going to choose. I'm going to decide. I'm going to do it all. It's, and I'm, I'm me. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person necessarily. It just means I'm running the show. The default setting for human beings, what the word sin really means, is I'm running the show and therefore, by definition, God isn't. And that is your default setting. I'm not judging you. Oh no, I'm I'm the lead dog. Get in line behind me. This, This is not. I'm not being critical. And in fact, this let me caution us so much. The world of people that don't know that God loves them. One of the things they don't like about us, who are Jesus followers, is they think we're judging them. Oh no, don't judge people. It ain't your job, and you'd be bad at it anyway. That's not what we're doing here. We're not judging ourselves. We're telling the truth about who we are. My default is me. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it the way I want to do it. I can't help myself. I wake up in the morning. I love my wife, but I still default to do what I want, even if I know she did not want me to do it. <laughs> for online people, like Kathy, who I'm married to for 40-something years, she's sitting right there. And she's laughing, <laughs> and she's laughing because it's true. So I hope, I hope I'm making the point. I want you to be brave, and I want you to be honest with yourself. I'm not talking about con- condemnation, I'm talk- and I'm not talking about me judging as if somehow I'm better. I'm not, I don't mean that at all. I mean, tell the truth. Is your default meology? And if it is, oh, do we have good news. Because to the, the make the, the creator of the universe, the almighty king about whom we just sang, he shall reign forever and ever, forevermore. He's gifted us. What went wrong and what are we going to do about it? Well, the birth of the Messiah is what God has done about it. It's the fundamental meaning of this season. What, what happened is we fell out. And God gave us the gift of his son. And our boy Isaiah called it 800 years beforehand. That's what's so cool about this. A long time before. Because why? Because he was a prophet. He was listening to God and speaking God's word into things. And he knew that God wanted the same question. What went wrong was bothering them 800 years before Jesus. Because their world was just as messed up as ours is. In fact, Isaiah uses the term not in the text we're talking about. He says the people are walking around in darkness. It's his way of saying they're all defaulted to meology. That's what Isaiah means by that. So here we are. We're we're admitting bravely that we need the gift. And we need it. And over and over again, we must say, here's another thing I want to make sure you're clear about. You know what you are? You know what I am? I'm an ordinary everyday sinner. In other words, I'm, I'm not an evil person. Here's what an ordinary everyday sinner does. A person who defaults to me. Here's what you do. When you've done something that hurts somebody, this is what you say. Oh no. What have I done? And then the next thing you say is, I'm sorry. See, ordinary everyday meologies... What we do is we say, "Ah, I can't believe I did that. And then we say, I'm sorry. In in religious language, the fancy word for I'm sorry is repent. It just means I'm sorry. It means "I'll, I'll, I'll turn and do it different next time. And we mean it when we say it, even when we do it again. And we can say, I'm sorry again. And we can never not say I'm sorry because God will never stop saying, oh, you're forgiven. So you and I bravely going to receive the gift and that's a challenge this morning as a part of what's going on here at this table if you're online in your home and you didn't go do so yet run grab yourself some kind of a liquid and run some bread or a crack or something because we're going to have the lord's supper we're going to celebrate the gift of the Son in just a few minutes but here we are it's in front of us so i want to make sure that we're all good with that default that you and i are in need of a gift and so let's take a look at what it means to have a wonderful counselor. Are you with me? That's the first compound name. So the word wonderful counselor is up there. You say in the, in there it's in uppercase letters. When we use the word wonderful, we say, well, it was, a, how was the meal? It was wonderful. How was the Thanksgiving? It was wonderful. And what we mean when we say wonderful usually, we mean it's pretty good. That's what we mean, right? That's not what Isaiah meant. Isaiah didn't mean pretty good. He means filled with wonder. Breathtaking. Astonishing. He means it in this, not in the colloquial sense. He means awesome. And so w- I want you to think about the gift that takes your breath away. So filled with wonder, is it? And that's a part of this compound name. I have it written down in Hebrew right here if you'd like to see it. This is in Hebrew, which is the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. They're written in Hebrew. And my Hebrew is not very good, but I have it written right here if you're just curious. Wonderful, filled with under awe, breathtaking. And then the word counselor is compounded with it. And counselor doesn't mean what many of us might think first, which is somebody who is a therapist. And of course, the wonderful counselor is a very good listener. But that's not what this means. The, the, the counselor is a person who is able to, from experience, understand what's going on and come up with a way of doing something about it, okay? can figure th- Wisdom can see what's going on and has experienced and knows how to get out of the situation, fix the problem, whatever it is, and has the power or the authority to pull it off, That's what this means, counselor. In the Bible, it's always used, this word is always used used to talk about what God is and what God does. It's not used in any other way, this counselor word. It's talking about God. So we said, what's the problem? And the answer is the gift. The answer, friends, is the empty cross. So what, what you're being invited to do, and I'm being invited to do, as followers of Jesus, we're being invited to look through the lens of the life and death and resurrection birth, life, death and resurrection of Jesus look through that lens back through that empty cross to the 800 years before Jesus and understand for unto us a son is born a child is is born a son is given and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor the Wonderful Counselor has the wisdom and experience and the ability to fix the problem and the problem was you and I got stuck we defaulted to me and we've been put back together again and that's what we celebrate so this little baby grows up to be a person who has the ability the wisdom everything needed to fix our problem and that's why at christmas we celebrate the prophet saying a long time ahead of time wonderful counselor it's just one of the features of the baby there are others and we get those next week and the week after, et cetera, as we celebrate, as we get close to, and then we celebrate on Christmas Day, the birth of the Messiah. That's, I needed a, that's what we're doing. I needed a wonderful counselor once. I'm just going to give you an example. It's, this is nowhere near as profound as the Jesus coming to live and die and live again for us. But this is just an illustration from my life. The illustration is how Kathy, Kathy works at Young Life Africa Middle East, and a whole bunch of Americans went over there for their sort of the big gigantic support team of Young Life Africa Middle East. And we went, we were in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. And Dar es Salaam is the capital city. It's on the it's on the very eastern edge of Tanzania on the Indian Ocean. About 15 miles over is an island called Zanzibar. Maybe you've heard of it. And Zanzibar is kind of funny. It's an autonomous part of the country of Tanzania. In other words, they think of themselves as their own country, right? But they're not. They're part of Tanzania. Who knows? The politics are crazy. So we get on a little airplane and we fly over the 15 miles and we go to the city of Zanzibar City, I think where we were, and we stayed in this kind of resort for tourists, and that's where we were, and we did our three days there. It was a fantastic experience, and um, we did actually go out and worship in a field with people. We did that, but um, so when I said that earlier about being able to worship anywhere, I meant it. Um, We go, so we're we're coming back now. Again, it's an autonomous country, sort of, so they made us go through all this custom stuff, And there I am standing. The airplane is out on the tarmac and it's running. It's a a commercial air flight. And And you can see it right there. But I am standing here at baggage check and the thing is beeping with me. I'm going, well, well, what's the problem here? And I have all my luggage, and I, there it is. It's going through. They have my passport. They have everything. And so it's beeping, beeping, beeping. I'm going, what's this? And so finally the guy, he's, it's beeping, and there's a man standing on the other side of the machine, and he it looks to be Arab by ethnic, and the, the Zanzibar is 99% Muslim, and they don't like us. Okay. And he, he's looking, and he finds my dop kit. And he opens it up. He's, I'm, going, I'm, I'm like this. And he finds in it that I didn't know was in it a corkscrew. Okay? A little corkscrew. So, you know, to open, a, open a bottle of wine. Yes, I would have opened <laughs> a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> and he, he stopped me. And Kathy comes over. And she has very, very limited Swahili. The language of the country is Swahili. She tries to say something in Swahili. I don't know. I can't. He he didn't listen. And then the next thing happened is a six foot one inch, highly successful medical doctor who was a part of our deal. You know, he's a typical type A successful guy who's achieved a ton. He stands up and tries to bow up on the guy. As if somehow because, you know, it's just what, it's what I would have done it had been my book fell out of the boat up. And he tried to treat the guy like he was a United Airlines baggage handler, you know. And the guy, I said, get away. Mean, meanwhile, the man who is African who speaks Swahili, he's running back from the airplane to try to help. But before he gets there, this man looked me in the eye and said, you're dangerous. And dude, I could have ended up in Zanzibar without my passport in some jail. I'm serious. I'm scared to death. Well, Alexis, who may be here in January to preach for us, Alexis comes up, and he was the wonderful counselor. It was awesome because he knew how to talk to the guy. I said, you can have my corkscrew. <laughs> he knew how to talk to the guy. And so in Swahili, he had a conversation with this guy. He, he understood the situation. He had the experience to know what to do about it, and he somehow managed to persuade him using the authority of his self-confidence and whatever. You know, Alexis is a sort of a chief in his tribe, and the next thing you know, the guy let me go. So I grabbed my dot kit, <laughs> I grabbed my passport, and I grab my luggage and <laughs> off to the plane again. You need and I need that kind of, a, a, that kind of a person in our life that saves us from the big problem, which is our myology. Because if I put myself in charge, I live that way forever. I was going to sing a jingle for you. You ready? Okay. So I, my my grandkids went and did or doing ba- all these Christmas pageants, and this is a way to get at the problem of the human condition. You ready? I'm getting nothing for Christmas. <laughs> Mommy and Daddy are mad. You can sing with me. I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Cause I ain't been nothing but. Almost all of you sang, so you're not in denial. (laughs) The table here. The table here is what we're here about. But there's one more thing I want to tell you about before we come to the table. It's something I don't think you know. This may come as a surprise to you. This is a little more stuff about who this wonderful counselor Jesus is. This is not 800 years before Jesus, but 40 or 50 after. In one of the letters in the New Testament... Called Hebrews, and it's obviously written to people who are Jewish in their background but have become followers of Jesus. Look carefully, there's something in here that I don't think most of us know. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet. He did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you know that the fully human, fully divine, wonderful counselor of Jesus tempted in every way, tempted to go from allegiance to the king, to his father, to me, but never did it. In other words, he gets us. Jesus understands you, whatever the struggle is. Tempted, friends, read this. Tempted, but never sinned. He understands. This is a wonderful counselor who's been there. This is a wonderful counselor who has wisdom. It's a wonderful counselor who knows how to repair the big problem. And he was willing to give his, he was not a victim. That cross is not something that happened to him. He chose to let it happen. And that's what we celebrate here this morning. So I'm going to step down to the table, and what I want you to be aware of is this. You're being asked when you take this, these elements, you're being asked to surrender. You're being asked to invite the wonderful counselor into your life to lead you, to rule you, to be the person that guides you. You're being asked to surrender your meology and become a person who's allegiant to the king of the